good morning, church. It is great to see you. It is great to be with you. We serve a victorious king, amen? And there's nothing going on in our world. There's nothing happening in his world that he won't overcome, that he won't undo. No tear he won't wipe away. That's worth celebrating. That's worth rejoicing over. Set your hope fully, your father says, on the grace to be given when Christ is revealed. Amen. Amen. That's a hope that'll never be disappointed. It's good to be with you. It's good to be back. Good to have Pastor Weston back from vacation. Yeah, it's good to have him back. He was sharing with me this morning before first service. We were talking about how it feels. It's great to go on a trip, but it feels good to come back home and to be with family again. Feel that this morning. I want to ask you, if you would, to, to bow your head in prayer with me in just a moment. You know, God teaches us in his word that we are a kingdom of priests, that we uh, are given the calling of praying for our land. And there, there's a lot to pray about. Would you bow your heads with me and let's go to the Father together. Lord, we, we come to you this morning, first of all, giving thanks because you have overcome, because you've defeated every enemy, because death itself is defeated. And, and we look, Lord, for your return, Jesus. We, we yearn for it. We look forward to that day when we finally get home and, and put the mess behind us. Yet, God... You tell us that you want to use us in the middle of it. And, and so we come here today praying, God. We pray for Buffalo, God. We pray for Milwaukee, Lord. We pray for the Ukraine. We pray for Congo and Ethiopia and Myanmar. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace to our world, God. That you would beat swords into plowshares. That you would teach us that our anger cannot bring about the righteous life God desires that you would call us to seek you humbly in order that we might be set free from these afflictions. Lord, we lift up our world to you and pray for peace. And God, we pray that you would help us to hear the call to be light bringers in this world, God, to bring those who share your love and your grace, who preach it and proclaim it, until that beautiful end comes and we step through into your house. We look for that, Lord. God, cause us to see around us those who need to hear the good news. Cause us to ache for them, to pray for them, and to be your people. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 A lot of times uh, someone will say to me, Pastor Greg, my heart is just so heavy with all that I see happening, and my response is always the same. Are you in prayer about it? And so many times people know, well, that's the answer. That's the victory that overcomes. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, a, a few quick announcements, church. First of all, I guess I need to say I'm sorry to you. I went long in first service, so if the parking lot was crazy, you can put that on me, all right? Uh, so I apologize for that a little bit. Welcome, those of you who are online, parking lot wasn't crazy for you, so that wasn't for you. Uh, a number of people this morning have come up to me and commented on what I'm wearing. Generally, those who were over 50 thought it was great. Those who were under 40 asked, what's wrong with me? So just deal with it. Either way, there it is. I've kind of liked tweed, little tweed this morning. Um, 
But a couple of announcements. One is, fellas, coming up this Saturday is our men's retreat. Uh, we had talked about Thursday night through Saturday. We're just going to do a one-day retreat. We've shifted gears a little bit on the format, but it's going to happen Saturday. Breakfast at 8. Uh, you're welcome to bring friends. There's no cost. We're going to have a great time. A whole bunch of activities going on throughout the day. But that's going to happen this Saturday. You can sign up by scanning the code on the chair in front of you, going by the website, giving the church office call. If you forget to sign up, just show up. And that goes for anybody any friends you might want to bring with you. But we're going to have a terrific time this coming Saturday. I hope that you'll come out and join us. A lot of activities going on. All that information is on the website. You can see that. Also, uh, coming up on the 5th of June, uh, so just a few weeks away, you know, we just had our spring baptisms. We always have our spring and our fall baptisms. But a number of people have said, oh, I missed the spring baptism and I, I still want to be baptized this spring. So on the 5th of June, we're going to baptize again. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, but you have never followed him in that public confession of your faith, which is baptism, I want to invite you. I want to encourage you to be part of that this morning. You can sign up in all the usual ways, uh, but we would love to include you in that. As always, when we talk about kids, so Pastor Allison just wants to have a conversation with you as a parent. Is your child really ready? Do they understand what's happening? We want to make sure of that so you can talk to her. But the 5th of June, we'll be doing baptisms again, celebrating those, so you're invited to be a part of that. Also, a kid's camps are closing in on us already. It doesn't feel like summer, but summer's coming. Um, and so, you know, if you need help, uh, you know, financially with the cost of camp, remember we are a family. We want to make sure your kids, your grandkids can make it to summer camp. So contact Pastor Josh, Pastor Allison, if you need help in those departments. Look, all of us give so that we can help each other in moments like that. And so don't be shy. Uh, those are coming up right around the corner. Information on the website as always. And then I just wanted to give kind of a quick FYI. You remember at the beginning of the year, we were looking forward to kind of breaking ground on the whole new kids expansion wing July 1st. As you may know, when you're dealing with contractors and supply chains and all that, a couple of delays have come up. It's probably not going to start on July 1st, but it is still planned for this year. We actually will have our permit in a couple of weeks all finalized, and that's a huge hurdle. We are moving forward. In fact, the building team and the board are meeting again this week, and I may have more details for you next Sunday, but a couple of folks have asked, hey, I haven't heard anything lately. Yeah, we're still going forward. That's all still happening, and we're looking forward to it. Um, grab your Bible this morning, friends, if you would, and open it to Romans chapter 11. We're going to continue our journey together through Romans. We started back in January. We're in chapter 11, verse 1 this morning. Special congratulations in first service to Josh and Tiffany. We dedicated their kids this morning, Merrick, Audra, and Kelson. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it seems like almost always our baby dedications are in second service. This morning it was in first, so uh, you all missed out. I think they didn't really like second service as much as they liked first service, so you know, we did it. In I'm kidding. Uh, Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And let me begin by asking you a question I already kind of know the answer to. Have you ever made a really big fool out of yourself in public? Raise your hand. I mean, gosh, I, maybe I should ask recently, you know, because we've all uh, been there and done that on many occasions. It was about six weeks ago that, that Ron and I were out taking a walk around Enumclaw. We love to do that. Big, long walks. The trail's awesome going all over uh, the area. That's just kind of a thing we really dig, talking, being together. So we're coming at the end of one of those long walks, and we're actually coming back by the park on Garfield there in front of Hope Lutheran. It's kind of getting late in the evening. The sun's starting to set. And, and as we came up on the park... 
I looked ahead and I saw a, a family, a mom and a couple of girls in the play area there at the park. And they had their backs turned to me, but they were having a blast. And I saw them. And in that moment, I was sure I knew who they were. I was sure they were some good friends of ours, Robin Person, her daughters, Ruby and Parker. Maybe you know Jason, he's the dad. Well, I said, oh, I thought to myself, oh, look, it's Robin and, and Ruby and Parker. Oh, they're friends. So I started to sneak up on them quietly. <laughs> and I got closer and closer, and yeah, you know, it looked like Robin. And so I came up behind her, and I threw my arms around her. I said, hey, my sister, how are you doing? I haven't seen such terror in a woman's face in a long time. She turned around. I was like, oh, no. Uh, I'm actually not the pastor at MRCC down the road. I'm some other guy, you know. Ah, no, you know, to her credit, she quickly realized what happened. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. And it flashed through my mind that my first plan had actually been to sneak up on the girls. How would that have gone? You know, Ruby and Parker in the park. And so we had a laugh and we talked and I walked away thinking, man, you're an idiot, Greg. <laughs> you know, but we've all probably had moments like that. Maybe not quite that bad, but sometimes what you think you see isn't, he has, obviously, we're feeling that. Sometimes what you think you see isn't what's really there. Is that fair? Yeah, that, that happens to us. And that's important to understand because we live in a time, friends. You and I live in a, a part of history where, where we can see so many things that it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. I mean, all this deep fake stuff, all these manufactured videos, all this propaganda, all this selling commercials. And we live in the age of media. And it's never been more important or sometimes more of a challenge to see what's really there, to see through what's not there. Jesus said that a time like this would come. He, he knew this. Here's how he described it in Luke chapter 21. He said, On the earth nations will be in anguish at the roaring and the tossing of the sea, and men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. There's a little bit of background to it. You kind of want to understand when he says the roaring and tossing of the sea. In Jewish apocalyptic prophetic tradition, the sea was a euphemism for all of the wicked nations. And so when Jesus uses that idiom, that figure of speech to say the roaring and the tossing of the sea, that's what he's talking about, the wickedness and the, the turmoil among the nations. That's what he goes on to describe explicitly. Nations will be in anguish. Yeah. And we live in a time like that, and that kind of fear and apprehension can overtake people if our attention is more captured by what we see than by what God says. See, here's the reality. God, our Father, is always reminding us that there's more going on than what we see, and He calls us to pay, hear this church, more attention to what He says than what we think we see. That's really important. Every parent, if you're a mom or a dad, you want your kids to trust what you say more than their understanding of what they see. And in the same way, 
God seeks to guide us, to parent us, to father us. I remember when, when our son was a, just a toddler and we would go camping and you know you have those wonderful evenings around the campfire and then as the campfire dies down, we always had a tradition of watching for shooting stars. And we all know they're actually satellites, but you get the idea, watching for shooting stars. And for Isaiah, as a toddler, it was so frustrating because he would lay down with us to look at the sky, but his attention couldn't last long enough to wait for one. He'd be distracted by something, and then we'd go, oh, there was one, and he would miss it. And he would get so frustrated. Then we would try to help him. Hey, no, 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 listen to what I'm saying. If you watch long enough, you're going to see it. And then finally comes that beautiful moment when they do. In the same way, God wants to quiet our hearts, capture our attention with what he says, that we might know how to see through what we think we see. The Bible puts it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. In other words, God says, as, as our Father, I want to capture your attention with what you haven't seen yet because it's more real than what you've already seen. Jesus put it this way. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words won't pass away. Rest on them. They're more secure, more firm than the ground under your feet. Let us fix our eyes not on what is seen, but as what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal. What is seen is temporary. It's that whole idea that's on the Apostle Paul's heart and mind in the beginning of chapter 11 of Romans. He's talked about how Israel was deceived into thinking that just because they were Israel, just because they were a nation that God had begun to work with, that by virtue of that, they were God's people, had eternal life, and were saved. And Paul had challenged that idea. Remember a couple weeks ago when we were in chapters 9 and 10 and we heard the apostle say, verse 6, chapter 9, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. In other words, just because you're born into it doesn't mean it's real for you. You have to receive Jesus personally as your Savior. And having said that, he's kind of blown their minds. And in chapter 11, he wants to address that sense, because they had thought of themselves as God's people by virtue of birth, by virtue of heritage, of ethnicity, now hearing that they weren't, that it was by faith, they were shocked. And they thought, hey, God changed his mind. And in chapter 11, Paul's going to say, no, 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 no. God hasn't changed his mind. You just weren't paying attention to what he's always been saying. Let's listen to him. Chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, I ask then... Did God reject his people? And he answers the question immediately, by no means. And then to give an example, he says, hey, I'm an Israelite myself. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't reject his people whom he foreknew. In other words, he addresses the fear that they had that God had changed his mind. I wonder if sometimes you aren't afflicted by that fear. The more you get to know God for who he is in his word, you'll find that his mind never changes because he knew what was coming all along. The scripture actually captures this idea in Hebrews when it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The story's always been the same. Paul wants 
his audience to understand that. Lots of people live in a kind of eternal insecurity because they think too little of God's character and know too little of his word. Paul says, hey, the game hasn't changed, gang. It was always about faith. And then to drive his point home, look at what he says in verse 2. He says, don't you know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah? Now, before we move on, let's just pause for a moment. God is always saying this to us. Hey, do you remember what the scripture says? Are you paying attention to what the Bible says? This is his living word, powerful and effective, thoroughgoing, the bread of life. God is always calling our attention back to what he says, especially if we've never paid attention in the first place because what we find in his word is better than all the myths we make up about his word. And so he's, Paul says to his Jewish audience, the Holy Spirit says to us, don't you know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah? And then he explains. He says, verse 3, how he, that is Elijah, now this gets a little complex, so stay with me, how he appealed to God against Israel. Elijah, greatest prophet in the Old Testament, all the Jews looked up to him. Paul says, don't you remember how Elijah appealed to God against you as a nation, against Israel? And here's what Elijah said. You can read about it in 1 Kings 19. Elijah said, Lord, they, Israel, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. It's a moving story if you go back and read it. Maybe you want to do that at some point this week. But Paul says, hey, remember what Elijah said? Now, why did Elijah say that? It's actually a fascinating story. Scripture tells us that he was overcome by the state of the nation. That he was completely depressed by where the culture of Israel had gone. It had fallen so far short of what was intended that they were worshiping foreign gods, they were following Baals, they were championing wicked kings, and Elijah just gets to the point where he says, this is a total loss. And the Bible says that Elijah, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, according to Jesus himself, Elijah sank into a suicidal depression. The Bible says he ran off into the wilderness, sat down under a tree, and said, I just want to die. It's a beautiful story about how God meets him in that moment and, and encourages him to rest and feeds him. And then he begins to counsel with him. But let's reflect for a moment on the fact that Elijah's depression and much of ours comes from paying more attention to what we see now than what God says is coming. He wants us focused on what he has said about what's coming. We sang about it a moment ago. There will come a day, and there will. But Elijah had forgotten that. Israel in Paul's day had forgotten that. Depression will creep into your life when you allow yourself to be more fixed on what's happening now than what's coming. But God calls us to look forward, just like you do with your kids. Elijah was also comparing himself to his forefathers. There's a little subtext in the passage where he says, I'm no better than my forefathers. Maybe you're living your whole life trying to prove you're better than somebody else. That's a road to depression. We're not meant to compare ourselves to each other. We're meant to be different on purpose, to celebrate each other's differences and then come together in them. But Elijah had forgotten that. And Elijah was also confused and suffering because he had conflated na national Israel and the kingdom of God. And beautifully, God steps into his life and he says, oh, Elijah, you need to see the difference. And listen to what Paul explains, verses 4 and following. 
Paul says, what was God's answer to him? What did God say in response to Elijah when he felt like that? God said this, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, God says to Elijah, hey, you're looking at the whole country, the whole culture, and you're depressed and suicidal. Instead, I want you to know that I'm at work in the middle of this mess. There's a remnant. There are 7,000 faithful people. They are the true Israel, the Israel of faith. And they're with me. And even through all of this mess, they are serving and loving and following me and listening to me. Elijah, you've paid so much attention to the headlines that you've missed the story on the ground. And the story on the ground is one of a faithful remnant. In other words, God says to Elijah, it may look like the country has gone to the dogs, but I want you to know that in the middle of the mess, there is a remnant. It's not easily or obviously visible because the world doesn't pay attention to eternal things. And so they don't see it. But he says, it's there and it's happening. And God says to Elijah, what is happening in that faithful remnant in those 7,000 is more important than all the headlines, more significant than all the sins, and more beautiful than all the evil, even though it's less visible. And the Spirit of God says the same thing to you and I in the midst of our world. When we confuse the kingdom of God with the nation in which we live, we can grow discouraged and depressed. But God says, no, my kingdom grows in the nation. It is not the nation. My kingdom grows in the midst of the people who call themselves the people of God. Maybe sometimes you're disillusioned or discouraged by somebody who's not at all living up to what you know the gospel calls us to. God says, don't despair. Don't fix your attention on that because there are many others who are. And isn't that what it's like in your family when you stop and think about it for a moment, right? You're raising kids, you're trying to build a marriage, hold down a job, pay a mortgage, and sometimes it feels like a big, gigantic mess, an out-of-control mess. Somebody say amen. But in the middle of that mess, there are these incredible moments that happen with your kids, with your wife, with your husband, with the dog, not usually with the cat, but sometimes with the cat. There's these incredible moments that happen. And when you realize, wow, something amazing is happening here. You know, our son's closing in on 30 now, but when we talk to him, what do you remember? You know what he remembers? He remembers some Saturdays when he was about eight, nine years old, and him and mom would sit in the living room with Tupperware tubs and soak their feet and watch cartoons together. You know, that doesn't make headlines. But in his heart, it's a treasured memory. And in our families, in the middle of all that sometimes chaos, all that sometimes turmoil, a beautiful thing is happening. God says to Elijah, the same thing's happening in Israel. Paul says to the Jews of his day, when you let go of this nationalism, what you're going to find out is that the kingdom of God is bigger and brighter than you ever dreamed possible. Paul's saying that we shouldn't look at, at Israel's collective fall from faith as the last word and then get insecure about our own grace. Instead, we should understand that in the middle of the mess, there are incredible treasures. That this gospel of grace by faith is precious beyond measure, always bearing fruit, always going forward, and destined to be the last word. 
Maybe you read in the news uh, about a week ago about a woman by the name of Laura Young. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona. She just headed out on a slow Saturday to the local Goodwill, and she says it was her aim to find something kitschy for her apartment, you know, some offbeat thing to decorate her apartment. So she went by the local Goodwill, and at the Goodwill, she found this marble bust, a little beat up in a corner with a piece of masking tape on it, said $35. She thought that would be perfect in my apartment. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit different. I'm going to buy that. Of course, when she brought it home, some of her friends noticed. They talked to other friends. And pretty soon, what does she discover is that this is a priceless 2,000-year-old sculpture of a Roman general named Pompeii. And suddenly, she has a priceless treasure in her apartment. But where did she find it? At Goodwill. (laughs) Who walks through the door of Goodwill thinking there are priceless treasures in here? But there are. Her story is not the only story. There's actually a a website you can go to and you can find all the treasures that have been found at Goodwill. Blow your mind. (laughs) The story behind this one was that the king of Bavaria had a house where he kept all these artifacts. The house got bombed during World War II. Some GI, as he went through there, picked up this bus, thought it looked cool, brought it home, hung out in his house, hung out in his garage for a long time. He passed away. His family cleared out the garage. They took all the stuff and dumped it at Goodwill. And we would describe that whole process as a mess. But Laura wouldn't. Laura would describe it as a process whereby a priceless treasure came into her hands. God says we must learn to see the same way, fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. This is so terribly important. Israel thought, hey, if by being Israel we aren't the people of God, then then somehow we've lost something. Paul says, no, 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 there's something even more priceless and that is being the people of God by faith. And Israel, like all the nations, are invited to be a part of that. Prophet Samuel described the same thing when in his day he was called by God to look for who would be the king of Israel. And everybody's eye was drawn to Saul. He was tall. He was good looking. He looked like the perfect guy to go viral on TikTok. (laughs) But God said no. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. He said, there's this younger son. He's a shepherder. His brothers pick on him, but actually, he's the man of God. His name's David. I see what's in his heart. I see what's unseen. Anoint him to be king. Church, this is terribly important to our everyday lives because we can get confused about really what's really going on when we wander away from God's word. God said to Elijah, hey, what's really going on isn't what you see. In that story, he goes on to take Elijah up on a mountain. There's an earthquake, a fire, a great wind. And then Scripture says again and again, God wasn't in it. But then came a still, small voice, and God was in it. And the whole message, the whole point of the story is to discover that. Paul wants his Jewish brothers to discover that, that their faith is more precious than their heritage, that their personal willingness to receive Jesus as their Savior is the most important thing to God in the whole world. And that it's always been this way from the beginning, and that if they only paid attention to their own Bible, they would know this. So Paul says, what then? What Israel sought so earnestly on its own terms, it did not obtain, but the elect did. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. 
The others were hardened, as is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they couldn't see, ears so they couldn't hear to this very day. And David, King David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. Understand, the apostle isn't asking God to do these things to them, but describing what happens in the hearts and minds of people who pretend they're not sinners who need grace or pretend there's some other way to get real with God than by receiving his son. The spirit that's being described here is the same one you as a parent use sometimes when you say, okay, have it your way and watch what happens. Paul's saying, yeah, that's the reality. If we choose to deceive ourselves, we are well and truly deceived. But the reality, the apostle says, it was always by grace through faith. It was always believing in Jesus that was the road to salvation. And when we forget that, when we fix our attention on the headlines, we lose touch with what's really most important. Jesus told a story about this. He told a story about our tendency to obsess over the wrong things. You can find it in, in Matthew 13, but it's short and brief. Listen to what he says. The Lord is speaking and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servant came to him and asked, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, the master replied. In other words, church, the reason the world is a mess is that there's much more going on than we can see. There's a spiritual war raging. You can't win spiritual battles with earthly weapons. You can't win it with changing laws. You can't win it with changing governments. You can't win it with bombing enemies. Those things sometimes have to be done, but they're not the answer. The weeds among the wheat are something God will deal with, are something God will solve. And, and that's what Jesus teaches in this story. Listen, as he goes on, the scripture says, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants who loved the master and who cared for his field said, oh, look, your field's a mess. It's full of weeds. The enemy did this. Shall we go and pull them up? And many today would suggest that that's the business of the people of God is pulling the weeds the enemy has sowed among the wheat. Jesus says it isn't. In his story, he answers no. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, gather the weed and bring it into my barn. In other words, Jesus is telling this story so that we would know that God is more about cultivating wheat than pulling weeds. There are voices in our world, in our culture, in our church culture, who carry on as if the mission of the people of God is weeding his field. It is not. It has never been. The mission of God is to plant wheat, to cultivate it, to see it grow. Even though that may, for a season, look like a messy field and the inconvenience of seeing weeds growing among the wheat and the heartache that goes with seeing the master's field as something less than it should be, still and yet, God warns us. Jesus warns us, says, don't, don't give yourself to weed pulling. If you do, you're going to damage the wheat. You're not going to increase the harvest. You're going to decrease it. You're going to reduce it. The master is in the business of growing wheat, not pulling weeds. 
Israel had lost touch with that idea. Our first impulse when we see the mess in the world is to go all action hero and start pulling weeds. But God says he's at work in the midst of the mess. Elijah saw the weeds in the wheat and said, oh my goodness, this field's a loss, and he wanted to kill himself. God said, you're looking at the weeds instead of seeing the wheat. I'm telling you, there's wheat, and it's what masters at what matters. It's easy to get upset when we see God's field looking like it does. But don't get disillusioned. Don't give up. Just keep growing wheat. Keep your heart in the wheat growing business. Don't think the weeds are proof of failure. They're not. As the song says, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Yeah. Just like Romans tells us in chapter 8, God is always at work. Friends, we're meant to grasp this. Israel had lost touch with that. And they thought of their salvation as a heritage instead of a personal relationship. And so as a consequence, they got discouraged. So as a consequence, they were alarmed when Paul said, no, 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 you're not born into this. You receive God as your Savior personally. Israel freaked out about that. But Paul says, no, it's always been this way. And this way is much better than what you think you have. I was in Jamaica on a missions trip many years ago. And, and you know, when I first got there, all of us on our team, we were brokenhearted to see the condition of this little neighborhood school that the local parents had put together in order to have a school for their kids. This was a, the government was too poor to put a school in this neighborhood. This neighborhood was too poor. And so the parents had done their best, but I mean, it was a dilapidated mess. No windows, the floors with mud, uh, the chalkboards broken, one light for four classrooms, uh, a single broken down toilet for the entire school. I mean, I could go on and on. And our hearts were so broken that, boy, we just immediately launched into how to fix that stuff. I started making phone calls. We started making arrangements. We're going to build this. We're going to rebuild that. We're going to put in this. We're going to put in that. We're going to reconstitute their gardens. They can have a lunch program again. We're going to rebuild their livestock so they can have protein in their lives. We're going to do all this stuff. And my goodness, we threw ourselves into it. For the next number of days, that's all we did was work on that. And it was good. Those are all good things. But about midway through the trip, the missionary, an old and wise brother who had served many years there, he pulled me aside. He said, Pastor Greg, could I talk to you for a minute? I remember walking over there with him. Yeah, what's up? Talk to me. What, what else do we need to do here? You know, what's next? He said, Pastor, can I tell you something? He said, do you understand that 80% of children in Jamaica grow up in fatherless homes? four out of five kids. He says, do you realize what a wound that is in this land? It's not that single mothers can't be amazing. It's that God intended for us to have moms and dads. He said, these kids don't have that. And he said, I appreciate what you're doing. It's beautiful. You're knocking yourself out. But can I tell you something? They need to know that they matter to you. <laughs> they need to know that they're important to you. He said, the most important thing we can give them is not a new school, although that's good. He said, the most important thing we can give them is ourselves, <laughs> our attention, our love, our care. And I was just blown away. He opened my eyes. I, I went out that night and bought a bunch of soccer balls for the rest of the week. Every time we'd come to the school in the afternoon after working in the morning, I'd say, kids, soccer game. We'd all go out and we'd start playing soccer all afternoon. They thought it was the funniest thing to watch the old fat white guy play soccer with them. <laughs> we would laugh have a great time. And then towards the end of the game, they would just gather around in throngs. 
And if I sat down, they wanted to sit with me on my lap, next to me, hold my hand. The boys wanted to put their hands on my shoulders. We would just sit and we would talk. I would look into their faces, and I began to understand what the missionary was saying. This doesn't look like the big deal, but it is the big deal. It's not that we don't do the other things. It's that this is what's most important. Paul wants Israel to grasp that. God wants us to grasp that through the God. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And when we realize this, we'll start remembering that it's the little moments that make all the difference. I got a text from our son. He's almost 30. I got a text for him this week, and here's what he said. He said, Dad, at least 15 times every day, your words echo in my head. Get all your work done first, then you can relax for the rest of the day. He says, you live in my head. (laughs) I rejoiced in that, right, on the one hand. But here's the reality. I think I said that like once, maybe twice. It was a busy Saturday. The family was doing chores. He was kind of ornery. He wanted to do other things with his friends. We said, no, we got to get this family stuff done. We got to do this work. And I think I said to him that morning, hey, son, look, you'll enjoy your time later if you get your work done first. Do all the stuff you have to do now, and then later you'll be able to completely relax. If you don't do the work now, then later when you're trying to relax, you'll be thinking about the work you haven't done. (laughs) By the grace of God, I taught my son something. He says, I hear it every day. And I thought to myself, what a small moment that was. And yet what a huge moment in his life. Church, that's how the kingdom of God happens. Israel had forgotten that. They thought it was all about winning, losing, who's the king, whether the Romans are there or not. Paul says, no, no, it's never been about that. We must understand, we're almost done this morning, that God is more interested in hearts than countries or cultures, more interested in people than politics, more interested in the message of his graceful gospel than anything and everything else. We can break the law and be forgiven. We can't ignore this gospel and receive his grace. And then Paul ends with the most hopeful thought in the world because his heart is for them. Verse 11, he says, So did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all. In other words, just as Israel rejected God's grace, they can turn and receive it. He's saying to them, hey, you may have wandered away. You're not part of the remnant, but look, just turn back to Jesus. Receive him as your savior and you are the remnant again. You move back into the faithful remnant of Israel. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus captured in the parable of the two sons. said, father had two sons. He said, go work in my field. One said no, but then later he did. The other said yes, but then he never did. Which one did the Father love, Jesus asked? And the answer is the one who on the inside got where he was going even though it was late. Church, we're meant to understand that. Paul wants his Jewish brothers to understand. And he he finishes the thought. Uh, He goes on to say, because of their transgression, that is Israel's, salvation's come to the Gentiles. And, And God wants to use that to make Israel envious. For if their transgression, Israel's falling away, means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness be? God is always at work seeking people, even when people reject him. I have a friend I went to college with. He turned away from God, gave himself to alcohol and lust. It ruined him. Nearly cost him his life, destroyed him his marriage. That's what sin does. But here's the other side of the story. His son, who was just a toddler when I knew him, grew up seeing all this happen. And as a result, his son learned to know God as his father and God as his savior. His son serves God to this day through his dad's 
collapse and his son prays for and seeks to bring his dad back to the Lord. See, God's always at work. Paul wants us to understand that. And so he goes on to say to us as Gentiles, and here's where we wrap up. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this mystery, brothers, so that you may not become conceited. I want you to understand that you aren't the people of God because you're part of America. You aren't the people of God because you're a conservative. You aren't the people of God because you're a liberal. You aren't the people of God because you're country. You aren't the people of God because you're city. You're the people of God because you believe in Jesus and receive him as your savior. And that, in the end, is more beautiful than everything else. It's not visible to everybody all the time. It makes no headlines. But it's the most important thing. What's happening on the inside is what matters most. And when we forget this, we can get into all kinds of trouble. (laughs) Like, for example, people see this sometimes, and all they can see is the outside. (laughs) Tyler said, oh, you're going to put puppies in the sermon. It's a win no matter what, right? (laughs) So, so... Take a look at this. What you see is 10 potential monsters who will absolutely dominate your house if you don't realize what's inside of them matters more. But if when they look like this, you will buck yourself up and spank them and teach them and insist that they learn then they'll turn into treasured members of your family. You might even end up loving them more than your kids. Don't tell anybody I said that. (laughs) But you got to realize that cute as they are, they're monsters. In the same way, God says, in the same way, God says, it's what's unseen that matters most. As you and I look at this world, let us remember, God says, I got 7,000. There are beautiful wheat growing in the weeds. Keep your attention on that. Focus your heart on that. When you know that, then you're experiencing God the Father. God loves people, as Timothy Keller is, says, because of who he is, not because of who they are. God loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are. Finish with a short story. My son was a teenager having one of those tough teenage days. Big turmoil, breakdown, conflict, rough night. And in the middle of it, in the middle of it, he said, oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I'll get back to that. In the middle of it, he says, dad, I just can't be you. Now, if you've ever had your kids say that, then you know what was in my heart in that moment. (laughs) I was saying, oh, son, I don't want you to be me. You're too young. There's too much you haven't learned yet. It's a long road. I said, what I want you to do is know me and my love for you. I want you to know me. And that's, that's what God says to us in his gospel. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your gospel. God, help us to know you more than we stare at ourselves. To receive your son to receive your love just through our faith that we might rest in who you are far beyond who we are we pray for that this morning if you're here and you have never received God as your father the Bible makes a simple promise to you scripture says whoever receives the son is adopted by the father 
to as many as believed him, to those who received him. God gave the right to become his children, John tells us. Today could be your day. You could say, God, I need you to be my dad. I receive your son as my savior. You can do that right now. What's happening in your heart in this moment is the most important thing in the world. God sees it, and God loves you. God seeks you. You can give yourself to him in this moment. Go ahead. He's listening. He wants you. Father, we thank you for your word. As we go from here today, let we have awareness that what is unseen is more significant by far. We pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to ask Mitch and Genia to come up front here. Can I confess to you that I'm a big idiot? I already did that earlier. I was actually, before the message, supposed to take a moment just to introduce Mitch and Genia to you. Let me briefly tell the story. They're going to talk for a minute, then they're going to be available in the foyer. About 30 years ago, the former pastor of MRCC, his name was John Shane, felt called of God to start a ministry in Russia to orphanages. Over the last 30 years, that ministry has grown to cover huge parts of Eastern Europe, served dozens of orphanages, hundreds, even thousands uh, of widows, both widows and orphans. And uh, Mitch, who pastored in uh, Newport, uh, over north of Spokane, he and I are friends. We actually went on a mission trip together to Brazil about 10 years ago. Mitch is now coming alongside John and leading that ministry. And he is here to tell you about what New Hope is doing among the most needy in Eastern Europe during this time. And with him is our brother, Zhenya, who is a refugee from Ukraine, him and his family from Odessa. And they have become involved in this ministry because of their connections. Mitch is going to share briefly with you, and then we're going to go. Thank you. I know we just have a moment here. I want to just give you a greeting. Our theme comes out of James chapter 1, 27, where it says, Pure and genuine religion is this, taking care of widows and orphans in their time of distress and keeping oneself uh, undefiled from the world. And that's why we do what we do. We talked about love and about in Jamaica, about the uh, orphans and or the, the kids just cr- climbing into your laps. That's what I experienced in Ukraine when I was over there this last fall. They just want love, but they need hope. And that's what we offer. We offer hope in Jesus Christ. Jinya and his family were able to bring over here. He's been part of the ministry. His adopted mom, he was living, he'd been living on the streets there, but his adopted mom is part of our ministry. She leads it, and he's wanted him to share a quick greeting uh, with us as well. Hello. <laughs> I bet speak English, sorry. <laughs> You're good people. Mm-hmm. You're good church. Mm-hmm. God bless you. This is church. And I don't want to keep you any longer than that. But I just want to tell you that what you are doing and what you have done is making an impact on kids, widows, and families as we're working at the, at the, with the refugees, as we're working in these five countries. Just uh, would love to hear, uh, talk to you more about that. We have a book that John Shane wrote about his adventures on, on the ministry there. Love to have, share that with you as well. May God bless you. Pastor Mitch, thank you. And uh, forgive me for uh, spacing out in second service and not calling you. We as a church have been involved with New Hope for a long time. Maybe God's calling you to be more involved. You can stop by the table out there and find out more. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, church.